Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 000020 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through to eight this evening. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners from which I am broadcasting this evening, the Kulin Nation people, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, the Tanurong people, and the Wutherong Uh all receiving us loud and clear, I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, as always. So, okay, we find ourselves in a historic time in the history of what is now called Victoria. Voting for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people has now opened to um, elect people to the First People's Assembly of Victoria. This will be the body that formally charged with negotiating treaty or treaties with state and or local governments on behalf of their people, our people. It's great to hear that 75 candidates have nominated to be judged before their peers, elders and their future. So voting is open for First Nations people as young as 16. So if you're a mob out there, it's not too late to enrol and in turn vote. You have until October 20 and all you have to do is visit First Peoples Vic org to enrol and to vote so this is a moment in history the trick is to recognize it the treaty process is not perfect nothing is nothing is but without it we'll give future governments of all persuasions carte blanche to continue to trample all over our culture as it is in risk of doing up in Jabarung country right now as we speak again what happens up there will have an impact on treaty negotiations one way or another but I think it would be fair to say if there was a treaty already in place, it would be much more difficult for governments to do what they're attempting to do up there at the moment. But on to tonight's show, uh, joining me in the studio is my one and only guest this evening, Tyson Yukapura, the author of an extraordinary new book entitled Sand Talk, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World. So I will have a yarn with him about that and anything else that really takes our fancy. So do stick around. It is three past seven on this Tuesday evening. The best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. My handle is at MrDTJames. This is the mission on Triple R. Triple R. You are indeed listening to Triple R. Ah, and you're listening to The Mission. My name is Daniel James. Now, like I said at the uh, at the top here, we have only one guest tonight, but uh, that's all we need because our following guest has quite a few things to, uh, to say and we're just going to have a, a free-flowing yarn about a whole range of things, but we'll base it in and around first his, um, his book. But um, I guess I'd better introduce him first. Uh, Tyson Yukamara is an academic... Hey, Yukamara... 
Yanka Porter. Yanka Porter. Sorry. Yanka. I'm dyslexic, don't worry about it. He's an academic and arts critic and a researcher who belongs to the Apshalik clan in far north Queensland. Apshalik. clan in far north Queensland. He carves traditional tools and weapons and also works as a senior lecturer in Indigenous Knowledges at Deakin University in Melbourne. His new book, Sand Talk, a book about Indigenous thinking and how it can save the world, is out now and available everywhere. Tyson, welcome. Yeah, really good to meet you, eh? Um, You've written an extremely unique book. How would you best describe it? It's a reversal, really, uh, more than anything. Uh, Just a reversal of the usual way of looking at things. Um, You know, like we always uh, having to explain ourselves to the world. Um, This book's asking the world to explain itself to us, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's what makes it unique. Yeah. Um, And according according to, you know, custom and, uh, you know, the, the 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 respect that you pay to your ancestors and your elders elders it was a book you had to write before you could really move on to anything else yeah that's it um you know it's it's those sort of stages of knowledge that you go through and very gradually and for me it's um you know it's been very gradual mm. you know a lifelong thing i've been very silly in my life <laughs> for a lot of it and you know you you, you can just uh, you can be a teenager your whole life this is a society, the one that we're living in right now, where where you can just be a 13-year-old and, until you're 70. Yeah. Or until you die, you know. You can just keep running around playing, being silly, have no accountability. And, um, yeah, the more people don't give you any knowledge if you're doing that. So, yeah, uh, it's been a big struggle to try and get some kind of discipline into myself. And, and my family's been working really hard on that with me. When When did that happen for you? Uh, it's been probably like for the last couple of decades, mm. you know, mostly. Um, yeah, because I belong to that Apleche uh, through customary adoption. Um, so I, I come under that law and uh, I have to take on all those genealogies. Um, and I guess, you know, if anybody wants to know about the genealogy from before that, um, I can't really proclaim it because of um, that's one of those limitations on me. But there is um, Ani Janus. Kulmatry mm-hmm. here in, in Melbourne. You can have a quiet chat to her and she can tell you all about my bloodlines and everything. Yeah. Um, a couple of other elders like Dyke her and, you know, because, you know, when you come into country, you sit down with people and tell them all your story and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And Gail Dawson, another one, had quite a few elders and people in the community. Yep. The, um, the, the journey towards the book, once you decided that, well, once it was decided for you that you had to had to write it, started with you looking at um, the Western cultural canon and looking at that from an Indigenous perspective. (laughs) And that pretty much started the journey towards this book. Do you want to tell me about that? Oh, I can tell you about all the hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was amazing to see the the discomfort at um, just turning the lens back around for a minute. And I was hooked immediately. Describe that. Well, so, you know, I was in that uh, Black Critics at Urimboy. Yep. Um, you know, so they were training us up, you know, to be, um, you know, arts critics. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I ended up, I, I did a review of, um, like I decided, uh, I don't want to just review our things, you know. I want to review some of the dominant culture things. 
Silang went straight to the top, and I did that um, Vincent van Van Gogh Van Gogh. Um, you described him as the the ringer that cut off his ear. <laughs> the Dutch masters, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that was the seasons exhibit here at Melbourne, and so you know I've, I've kind of got a different. I, we have a different idea of seasons mm. from what he was looking for. He basically was trying to find what eternity was and what nature was, and and connect with nature through these four seasons. Yeah. Which are gammon seasons. There's no four season anywhere in the world. Yep. You know, um, they're just economic. That's an economic cycle. You know, when you look into the origins of all the words for those seasons, they're pretty, they're all tied to economic activity and what can be extracted from the land at different times rather than what's actually going on. Mm. You know, so I'm sort of like, oh, you know, if that fella, he wouldn't have blown his brains out there (laughs) in that field of wheat or corn or whatever, sunflower. You know, if I could have spent a day with him, you know, and just directed his attention to the what the rabbits were doing, the badgers, that yeah. viper that comes out in the springtime there. A form of a form of mindfulness that leads to connection. Yeah, looking at those foxes and what they're doing and the seasonal signs and, you know, um, yeah, if you could have really seen that and paid attention to where the water was going and, you know, how the birds were behaving instead of just painting the crows like these marauders coming into a a dead sort of winter landscape, like yeah. actually seeing the, the productive things that they do, um, you know, he would have connected and he wouldn't have had to kill himself. So that's how we're going to close the gap for these Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> and so people were, were affronted? Um, yeah, quite a bit. Um, I, I got a lot of hate mail. Um you know, like, how dare you? Where did, where, did, where did you publish it? How very dare you? In The Guardian. Right. You know, The Guardian's like, they like to put some cheeky things in there from time to time. Yeah. And, um, but I really loved it. And I, I enjoyed the hate mail. Um, you enjoyed the reaction? Yeah, well, it was just interesting, you know. Like, I get, eh, my work makes a lot of people angry. And so it doesn't scare me or anything. I'm always really interested about where they're coming from and what they're really angry about. Because that's one thing we know is that no one's... People are seldom angry for the reason they think. Mm-hmm. And they're never angry for the reason they say. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, having a dig around in that. So what, what, did, you, what, did, what did you find when you try to nothing, know, discover the motives? Nothing good. <laughs> but... um but, you know, fixable stuff. Yeah, and, it, and it's all around that disconnection. They're longing yeah. for connection. They feel like they know and understand deep down the sentience of all things and the connections of all things. But um, So they were, they were you know, attached to his art, attached to the concept of him and, mm. and attached to the idea of his story. Yeah. And for you to come along and say, listen, listen, bud, if I had a few minutes with you... Yeah. Could have maybe turned things around for you. We'd be, I guess, confronting for people. Well, it was also, I mean, you know, how dare you, Blackie? Like, yeah. You know, this is the Dutch masters we're talking about. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's that. I was I was punching out of my weight a bit. I was out of my pay grade. That's the thing you like to do, though, isn't it? You like to be cheeky. You like to I push the barrier a little bit. I mean, I do like to. But then, you know, then I go when everybody, you know, Starts throwing stuff at me. I run home crying. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what, what's, what's, what's the reaction been to this book then? Um, it's been amazing. You know, like I thought there'd be... Um, and and know, this is your first book? It is my first book. So it was supposed to be this tiny thing. So that, that publisher, that text publishing, yeah. he called me up and he asked me a few times, right? Because uh, he read that, that um, The Seasons, uh, Vincent Van Gogh thing, a uh, review that I did. And that, that, and that was the one. Just... He said, that there, what you've done, turn that lens around. I want to see more of that. Can, yeah. you, can you write me a book from that perspective? Yeah. And I went, nut. Nah. And then he called me up again. And I went, nut. Nah. And he called me up again. And I'm like, I think about it. And then there was all this um, stuff. All, a lot of them old people in the, the book there, they they um, asking me, um, well, telling me really, you know, these are these are things that we want everyone to know. You got this it. one, this one, this one. Oh, man, Jum, all those symbols. He gave me that job a few years ago to um, to take those symbols out into the world. Yeah. Because that's for him, it's a big ritual magic thing that's going to um, bring all the seven spirit families back home and, and unite us and bring us together. So he told me to do that, and I've been just doing it one on one with thousands of people for you know, nearly a decade. So that's how long it took. Yeah, but it's it's slow work, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so he he was keen when I called him, asked him about the book. He was keen on that, and um, all the more followers I called him up. Well, go, you know, these things go at their own pace, don't they? Yeah. And it was supposed to be a small thing. But it's not They were only going to do a few thousand. They're like, it's the first book, don't get too excited. No one will even know it's out there. It'll just, we'll just do it and then we'll try another one later. Well, but then it's, it's this big thing now. And, it's... and how are you dealing with that? Because you, you, you've got something in your mind that you're putting out into the world and saying, cool, I'm getting this off my chest. A few people read it, it'll be good. But now it's taking off and it's actually challenging the way people thinking like books like Dark Emu mm. have. And speaking of which, you know, um, Bruce Pascoe describes this book as a book of cultural and philosophical intrigue and he says, read it. My, my favorite, How does that feel? My favourite. Oh, it, it, that, it's just amazing. You're struggling with it. I can see it in your body language. I am totally struggling with the whole thing. But, but there's like little bits of joy like that Melissa Lukashenko, she said it was Dark Emu on Acid. <laughs> and that's that's the one I wanted on the front cover, but they won't put it there. Yeah, they um, ended up just putting an extraordinary invitation into the world of the dreaming by Melissa Lukashenko. I know, and that's not what it is. And I, I sort of feel like, oh, God, I hope no one sees that and then they don't read it and they think I'm saying something that I'm not. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with how much it's out there and how much people are making it about me rather than about the fellas that are talking in there. So you're going along, you're living your life... Uh, you're an academic. You're, you're involved in a whole bunch of, you know, traditional customs like the, the, the carving, and you're into languages. And then all of a sudden, you put this out there, mm. and you feel exposed. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm off country here. And it's, yeah, I'm trying to get used to living in the city, which you know I've never done, and I, and I don't know. I'm just trying to keep my head down. Cause just trying to understand how it all works here, the politics and everything, because it's very different from anywhere else. Well, when you, when you find out, will you let me know? Okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. But, you know, so I just want to keep my head down, and then all of a sudden there's all this, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Anyway, but I, I'll be right. I, I can't be silky about this. Old man growls at me when I do that. <clears throat> he says, you've got to have no fear. And you can't. You're carrying this knowledge, and... And that's a responsibility, and it's not about you. You're just 
you know whatever happens to you that doesn't really matter well i could, I could tell you there's not a there's not an ounce of fear within the book itself you, you you've you've written it and you've laid them on the line and you said look this is how it is this is the way i see things this is what my elders have told me um there might be some value in it for you and that's a tremendously brave thing to do but you you, you write it in a way where there is no fear mm. so it's interesting how you know you've you've got it out there and but 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 now the the i guess the the tentativeness yeah comes with having all that out there and there's just so many aspects to this book that people can talk to you about yeah oh look i've had or challenge you about i just um I just can't believe, like, I, I haven't had any negative feedback from any blackfellas at all. Like, um, and I'm getting all these messages now every day. You know, it's, um, you know, people are reading the first chapter and crying and having to lie down for two days. You know, there's people who are, you know, they're saying it's the book's changed their life completely and it's given them courage to speak up, um, and courage to be heard, you know. Yeah. It's uh, 22 past seven. You're listening to the Triple R. This is the mission. My name is Daniel. I'm speaking with Tyson Yukaporta, who is here to talk about his book, Sand Talk. Um, the title Sand Talk comes from actually sitting down with elders. And during that in the sand, you actually sit down in the sand, share knowledge, and you do that by actually drawing whatever it is that you're drawing to try and convey the message, and that's actually a way that you use to pass down knowledge or, and, and gain knowledge. How, how would that simple act, if more people did it in today's society, how would it improve things if it was more widely practised? Um, it, it's it's sort of it's the way of thinking. So, you know, whether you were doing that on an iPad or even just drawing something in the air... You know, to actually bring more nonverbal, like ways of communicating into what we're saying. Mm. Um, it, it, there's a lot more information. There's terabytes of of knowledge um, in nonverbal things. You know, like a picture is worth a thousand words, all that sort of thing. Yeah, you can convey a lot of knowledge in an instant. You know, with an image or with some body language or you know, making sign or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think it would just improve knowledge transmission if we focused on things that way. But it's also just the way of thinking and the way of being, because that changes your relationships. Then, because you're relying on a lot of contextual information and shared knowledge, and there's a lot more knowledge in your relationship between the two people who are speaking. You know, when you're doing those things, mm. and um, it, it makes those relationships stronger and deeper, and encourages you to go and connect up with other pairs of people and form these networks uh, of people who are sharing and growing amazing new knowledge instead of just passing memes along like bloody popcorn. Yeah. Stop um, the boats. Yeah, I, I um, saw a meme the other day that basically said, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a young girl sitting on her father's um, lap and uh, she said, Daddy, you know, what did you do when... Uh, you know, the erosion of democracy began. And he said, well, I shared some white-hot memes with a select group of friends who were like-minded. <laughs> That's like that wartime propaganda from the old days. And, yeah. Daddy, what did you do during the war? 
<laughs> Nothing, my darling. I was a gutless piece of crap. Um, yeah. You remember those posters? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. From history. <laughs> absolutely. You know, bring yeah. out your pots. Yeah. Um, so nonverbal communication is something you would argue that we're lacking here in the 21st century. An understanding, an understanding. Not us, we're still doing it. Not us, but an understanding of that. And and to engage in that nonverbal communication, you really do have to be in in the moment. You really do. Yeah. And and it's just, there's a whole raft of things, you know. It's funny, with, with anything in culture, you try and pick up one thing and it's attached to everything else. Yeah. You know, like it's all those protocols and... um, you know, all those patterns and ways of doing things that we have, that they're all tied in. Yeah. They're tied in with all these things and um, the ways of communicating and everything else. Because there's a lot, lot of, lots of knowledge transmission in our way that's like, you know, secret story, you know, is a really big part. But story's not just telling a story. Yeah. Like once upon a time there was a king or whatever. You know, it's a lot more complex than that. It's, it's um, bringing stories alongside each other. You got, you know, you you bring your different stories, you know, with the person you're talking to, mm. and you bring them alongside, and um, you finish up with something approximating the truth, even if those stories contradict each other. You know, it's it's bringing a bigger picture of the truth, and that's what yarning does. Yeah, it helps helps bring us together through the through the fabric of the universe. The the universe is made of very 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 small stuff. Yeah, that is all interconnected mm. somehow mm. and us trying to understand that mm. and each other is a way of being connected yeah. and connecting to that. That's it. And we, you never get it in this vertical sequence, you know, um, yeah. e- even with how people tell stories now. But, you know, you remember growing up, you, you don't get this, you know, long, long time ago in the dream time, you know, A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. You don't get it like that. You get it in bits and pieces. Yeah. You know, you'll be fishing and it'll be like, oh, you see that oyster reef there? That's that body of, yeah. the, of the Brolga. You remember there when he was at, come over from Pydenhead there and that's where he finished up here. You know, like you you get it in bits and pieces and it's embedded in the land and in your relations and in the activities that you're doing in different seasons and the story comes together like that. And I just one of the things I remember vividly as a kid is hearing from um, my pop who... Um, Grew up on Cambridge, and him describing what life was like before rabbits, <laughs> <laughs> and how rabbits came along as an unending protein source. And this was an analogy. This was a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. And he basically said the best thing that that Whitefellas ever brought to uh, to Australia was were rabbits and uh, redfin. A <laughs> <laughs> redfin. Yeah, I've seen them once. Yeah. Yeah, delicious eating. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. G'day, this is Jack Charles. Right now, you are listening to 3 Triple R FM. Yes, indeed. Um, If you heard my conversation last week or you missed my conversation last week with Uncle Jack Charles, it is available on the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. 
seems to have had a good reaction. Well, he does get a good reaction wherever he goes these days. He's gone from being a, a tea leaf condemned by society to getting a standing ovation wherever he wherever he goes. He's a um, a fascinating and tremendously interesting elder of ours, and he's very generous with the time he has. So, um, thanks, Uncle Jack, if you if you're listening. While I'm also talking about the website, you can go there to subscribe to Triple R and to this program. Radiothon is still on. There's a whole bunch of prizes still available. I see one of the prizes is actually to have a dining experience with the breakfasters at Attica. Well, I can't promise you that, but if you subscribe to the mission, and I'll get the wonderful but deluded people here at Triple R to actually check in the morning. If you go to the website and subscribe to Triple R and subscribe to the mission itself, I will promise you a piece of fish, two potato cakes, and a can of Coke. Hey. doesn't have to be heavy Coke. It can be Diet Coke. And uh, I will make that solemn promise to you. So um, make sure you pass on your details. And I'm deadly serious about this. This is uh, – you can have the Atticas, but there's nothing really like a suburban fish and chip piece of flake, two potato cakes, and a can of Coke. And if you want uh, salt and vinegar, that's optional. But, uh, the, you know – you, you, you can do what you want. The world is your oyster. There'll be no oysters. It'll just be a piece of fish and two potato cakes. But um, anyway, back on with the show. I have a, a very special guest here with us in studio. Tyson Yakaporta is the author of Sand Talk, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World. Very bold title. But <laughs> we're just talking um, off air then uh, while we're listening to uh, Yothi Indi about songlines mm. and how it's something that a lot of people hear about songlines, but not a lot of people understand actually what they are. What are songlines? Um, well, chances that if you, um, you're walking along a, water la- a waterway, you, you're following one, mm. you know, and, and you're probably crossing about eight a day, you know, anywhere where you walk. Um, yeah, the songlines are just those... Um, ancient lines in the landscape of the pathways of the hero ancestors um, that come through and they're multi-layered, so story and song and um, map, but then genealogy and kinship all in there as well, you know, mother's country, father's country, all that, you know, this side of the river, that side of the river, Um, everything's there, you know, all the rules for living, you know, even, you know, that ceremony also singing country from, from north to south. You know, it's um, it's everything. And it's like a web, you know, going right across everything. And it's there in spirit and energy um, in the land as well. You can, if you've got your, if you switched on, you can feel it, you know, when you step, when you step into one. I think that's a lot of, that's a thing that a lot of, you know, Blackfellas have unfortunately lost because mm. there hasn't been the opportunity for that information to to mm. be passed down. I know, as a kid growing up in a in a town called Jarrah in northeast Victoria, which is on Tungaronglang um, country, um, if I had the opportunity to speak to to some of their elders or some of my elders, I would have a completely different relationship with the landscape. Mm. With the rivers and the trees and and, and 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 the rocks, and you know that's that's something that that makes me sad, and I think it's something that makes a lot of black fellas sad, and I think it's something that 
you can reawaken yourself to if mm. if you're fortunate enough to be able to be exposed mm. to 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 that to those learnings and to, mm. the, to that culture. But it's also you know so the way our knowledge is kept, it's not just kept with you know one genius who knows everything. You know, somebody who's the you know the the keeper of all things. Um, that's not the way it works. No. Our, our knowledge is distributed throughout our community, and you know we all own it together. There's no obligation on you that you have to know everything. Mm. You know you can access that whenever you want because the repository is our entire community, and really all of the knowledge is never there until we're all together and sitting around. And you know you'll find that there are really important pieces that you have even if you didn't realise it, that come out in that yarn. And all together we all hold it and we all have it and we all know all this stuff. Well, I, I put it to you, Tyson, that not many people knew that the echidna <laughs> has the largest brain proportionally for any animal, on any mammal yeah. on, on, on the planet. And we say mammal, but I, I don't know if there's some lizard or fish got a bigger brain. I don't think so. It, it must be just pretty much anything. F- fish are dumb bastards. He's got the biggest brain. He's got the biggest brain. I, I just so can't the, get over it. the biggest it. brain. Yeah. And when I read that... Where, the, where, where, where did you just discover ah, that just, fact? I just found this, like, um, obscure research paper. Um, and I couldn't find it again. There was another one. I was talking about New Guinea ones as well. Um, and there's different ones everywhere. I've been in Tasmania last year, and... Um, and they got different echidnas there. They're furry one, like only a few spikes. Really? And lots of fur. I didn't even recognise it. So it must be different ones everywhere. <clears throat> Echidna light. Yeah, but they got the biggest brain. It blows me away, especially that neocortex is more of their brain than than like I think ours is about you know thirty percent. That's the part of the brain that allows you to reason. Yeah, it does the really complex thinking. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, and theirs is bigger than ours, even in proportion, even with their massive brain. So, like, what are they doing? Yeah. When, we're, not, when, when we're not looking. Playing chess. Yeah. Playing they're, hopscotch. They're checking up on us. Yeah. And, like, and how angry must they be well, now looking at us? Well, they, they do come across as quite angry. Yeah. You know, they, they do dig in. Do you regret adding one now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh no! <laughs> they probably know, you know. There's probably ones going, "You ate, you ate my uncle." Yeah, I might say prick because it's done a long time to do it. I'll stab you when you sleep. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're huge, and and they're big songlines that go all over, you know. And um, you know, often he was like an old clever man, and often he's doing the wrong thing, you know, where he gets his legs broken and gets speared, you know, a thousand times and all that kind of thing. Well, he, um, he's a he's a critter that's just open to all sorts of, you know, interpretations. You know, there's mm. so many different ways you, you can describe the way they go about business and what drives them. And yeah, yeah. You know. well, that's it. And then there's, I mean, then there's that Bigibilla, Tegibilla stories, and then, then there's all those big song lines. So out western near Brewarrina, yeah, so a lot of your mob end up there. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I like recognise your face as soon as I saw you. I'm like, hey, he's from Bree. But no, that's all those Yorta Yorta that were taken out for the mission there. Yep. Yeah. But um, out that way, you know, you see them and the bodies are in the landscape. So there's these huge hills that are made out of these big crystals, these massive crystal shards that are um, 
the, the spines and you know yourself to be standing there on a an echidna you feel it go through you you know when you're following this line of this mothers and babies all coming out from that place um you know and it all connects back there's this big Bayami song like all around um it it's it's huge and they, those song lines information along them can move very quickly i mean i remember when reading about when i don't know it wasn't there but i remember reading about when port philip was first settled by you know <clears throat> the invaders and within days that information had crossed up and got up to to Wadarong yeah. country and and even further afield up to Waivaru country in, in, in what's now known as northeast Victoria. Mm. And so by the time the invaders got there, mobs had been able to steel themselves and their resolve to actually deal with with that threat. And while I'm speaking of that period, it, it always seems to me that there was a there's so many missed opportunities, but one of the greatest missed opportunities is that there was actually a small chance if the European mindset had been different, that the relationship between Europeans and First Nations people could have been mutually beneficial. Yeah. What do you reckon? Well, maybe it's not too late. <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. Well, you see other places in the world where, you know, these what they call mulatto populations mm. just sort of developed... Yeah. Um, and, you know, in some of those places you ended up with a really interesting hybrid culture that was really vigorous and, um, you know, doing interesting things. You know, but, I mean, yeah, you, we've got to bring our stories alongside each other and have proper dialogue. Um, I think that's really important. I think, but I think particularly with the adolescent cultures in the world um, that are really new cultures, they they kind of got to remember you know, because at some stage something horrible has happened to them uh, not long ago and caused them to forget everything and they've had to start from scratch all over. Yeah, that's one of the things you talk about in the mm. book is Armageddon mm. and how some of the, 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 the more ancient cultures in the world like ours have a bit of a firmer understanding of what Armageddon is and that gives us a different perspective. Yeah, well, we've been through so many. Yeah. You know, um, multiple ice ages, you know, rising and falling sea levels and... Volcanoes. Yeah, like, you know, droughts that last for centuries and all kinds of things. Uh, meteor strikes, you know, these are all in our stories. We remember them. But it's not just the event that's in there, it's, um, you know, warnings about how you have to be and how you have to live. You know, to be able to keep moving with the land. Yeah. Because if you don't move with the land, the land will move you. And I think all these cities huddled around the coastline of this volatile land are, um, they're going to find that out pretty soon. And understanding the fragility of it all, does that go to the heart of, you know, the byline in the book, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World? Yeah. That wasn't my choice at <laughs> Don't throw I your publisher under a bus, it mate. Was re- it's, uh, I, but I really loved it anyway because, I don't know, it was just really cheeky, you know. Um, I mean, it's a bold claim, isn't it? It's a pretty bold claim, it yeah. really is. Yeah, and it's either, you know, people are either going to go, 
mm, or they're going to go, mm, and, and only those two things, <laughs> nothing in between. It's yeah. 14 to 8 on a Tuesday evening. You're listening to The Mission with Daniel James on Triple R 102.7 FM. I'm speaking with Tyson Yukaporta about his book, Sand Talk, but we're also talking about a whole bunch of other things as, as well. Uh, grateful for your time, Tyson. You know, stick around and um, have a yarn throughout the, uh, the course of this hour. Talking about time, mm. you describe how time is non-linear and it's something you explore quite deeply within the book. What does time mean and is there meaning in time itself? Oh, what does time mean and is there meaning in time itself? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess we're, um, we're beings, like as a custodial species, our role is to make meaning. Um, yeah, we're the ones who make meaning in this creation and, and therefore keep that increase, you know, going through the ways we express that, you know, in ceremony and in, you know, the enactment of our daily rituals. Um, yeah, meaning making is what we do. Um, and yeah, it's a, it is a different kind of time. I mean, I guess we were talking about stories before mm. and the sort of fragmented ways that you learn them. Yeah. And even the mole fellas, when they'll sit down and tell you a story from start to finish, it's kind of, there's bits out of place. That's, and that's they'll true. They'll change. They'll change. The, you, you remember mole fellas, they're, they're talking and then they'll change the tense, even like halfway through a sentence. You know, they'll be using past tense and yeah. then suddenly it's present tense. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. And that's that, and they'll assert, you know, no, past, present, future is one thing. It's one time. It's all one thing. And yeah. old, old man does that, which is why he. Uh, so old man Juma in the book, I talk about a lot. Now, who, now who is he? So he's from um, Larakia Mob. Yep. Um, about fifty k south of Darwin, he lives in a place called Acacia. There he's got a reserve. There, and he just he welcomes anybody in. You know, from from any mob, Aboriginal people to you know to learn his knowledge that he has there. Um, and he used a lot of this sand talk to teach me a lot of the symbols. Um, and the ones that he really wanted me to share are the ones that are in the book. And one of them is a model of time, mm. which is almost impossible to explain through radio. I'd have to show you. Yeah. You know? So I guess people would have to check the book for that. Well, the best, the best way to find out is to buy the book. Yeah. But so he exists outside of time, you know, so he knows what you're going to be doing. I mean, the reason I got you to play that song before was about the song lines, but also about that idea of time. Um, it was the first time I met him, and he, he spent half a day with me, and he just did hundreds of these symbols and, you know, really hurt me with it, like my brain just about died. Yeah. Because I was still all in my head at that stage. Yeah. So all of it just went in my head. Yeah. Because my mind wasn't going out properly in relation to the world around me. Yeah. You know, but he was really, he was really happy because he's, because I got it, you know, and he, he's been trying to find someone who, who would get it, and he was really excited about it, and so he, he said, that place you're going tomorrow, you know, he didn't know where I was going tomorrow, you know, but he said to me, that place you're going tomorrow, there's a song line there, and you'll find it in this Yothi Indi song. Fair yeah, and I was like, ah, he's just making out. <laughs> You know, because he doesn't know that I'm not going to be in the Northern Territory tomorrow. I'm going to be in Victoria, in the Snowy Mountains, and, uh, and that's where last the time I, I looked, <laughs> you got the Indy didn't come from there. But so I'm sitting, but alas, alas, I'm sitting on the edge of the Snowy Mountain and, and thought of that, and I'm looking down this valley, and I'm watching that Snowy River 
going down towards the sea. And I, I looked up the song and I played it. it and it says, you know, from the edge of the mountain down through the valley, down where the snowy river flows, uh, follow the water down to the ocean, bring back the memories. That's and perfect. I went, oh, my God. Because that's exactly what he said. He said, you've got to go down to the beach and, you know, follow it right down and uh, draw all these symbols on the beach there and the sea will take it out. Well, um, I hope we haven't killed anyone tonight with, with this discussion. <laughs> um, before I let you go, you want to write a, um, a new book. What do you want to write that new well, book I've, about? I've started it. Oh, okay, um, you've started it. What, what is, what yeah, is yeah. it? Just briefly. Yeah, I heard it here first. It's a Viking novel. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So it's about a, a black fellow who ends up in, um, in like, Norway. Of course. Back in the day. Yeah. And sort of what he makes of it all. You know, he ends up being a... A Viking, but you got some special skills. I think we've covered enough for tonight. Thank yep. you, Tyson. Yeah, we've done the Vikings. I'll get you back. <laughs> I'll get you back when you've uh, when you've completed that book and it's published, mm. hopefully through text. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. It's been really illuminating. Um, and if you want to be even more illuminated, go out and buy the book. Hopefully, from an independent bookstore. It is called Sand Talk: How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World, and it is available. And even some of the worst bookstores. <laughs> but Tyson, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>